Today's episode of Locked On Eagles is brought to you by rockauto.com. Head over to rockauto.com today and save time and money and tell them that Locked On sent you. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Eagles fans? Welcome into another edition of your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast. It's the Lockdown Eagles podcast, as always, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Eagles your first listen each and every day, Monday through Friday. We have a show available for you on all podcast platforms, wherever you get the show. We are available as well as on YouTube Monday through Friday. We have video versions of our full episodes as well as short clips being posted on YouTube. So guys, again, make sure you're not only subscribing to our audio channels, but as well as our video channel on YouTube. And we're on Twitter as well at LockdownBirds, at TBIASI, and at GC24 underscore football. It's Tuesday. That means it's stock up, stock down. But guys, some programming alerts for the podcast this week as the Eagles do take on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night football. That means we have today's show. We had Geno's recap of that thrilling win against the Carolina Panthers on Monday. So we had yesterday's show. We've got today stock up, stock down. But then we only have tomorrow and Thursday And we've got a game on Thursday night. So tomorrow we will take a first look at that Buccaneers game. We'll have crossover Thursday with Lockdown Buccaneers dropping early in the morning. So you guys can listen to that show on the morning drive and on the way home as you get ready for Thursday night's game. But we will have a show as well Thursday night. Our postgame show will drop for the Thursday night, Friday morning commute as well, right after the game. So just be on alert for those shows. It's going to be a little bit different since the Eagles are on Thursday night football this week. It's stock up, stock down. We're continuing to take a look at that thrilling 21-18 win against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday in Charlotte. The Eagles now 2-3 and three on the season, and I had the privilege of being in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium for the game. It felt real. Let me just say, before we get into stock up, stock down, like it felt really damn good just to be at a football game again. Like I miss Lincoln Financial Field so bad. I miss the city of Philadelphia so bad. Right now I work up in radio in Buffalo, New York. So, you know, I'm not in Philadelphia and I miss the hell out of just being in an environment where it's all Eagles fans, but I also just in general, because of COVID missed the football, like a live game environment anywhere. It just, it's been an entire, it's been going on two years now. I haven't been to a game since the Eagles came to Buffalo against the bills in 2019, when they kind of saved the season, winning that game, getting from three and four to four and four. Um, And that was a great game and haven't been to one since because of COVID. And so just to be back and seeing the tailgating atmosphere, and I love the aesthetic of a downtown stadium. The Panthers, Bank of America Stadium is underrated. It doesn't get enough love. It is one of the older stadiums in the NFL now. It's not fancy. It doesn't have the crazy technology and the roofs of Atlanta and Minnesota, right? But at this, or, you know, Las Vegas, these palaces and Los Angeles. But at the same time, I, sometimes it's not about the stadium itself. It's just about the aesthetic. It's about the view. It's about the location. And it's perfectly in the corner of downtown Charlotte. It's a beautiful stadium. We had a beautiful view. And again, I just loved having 
the experience of being at an NFL event again. It just, it's been a long time and it felt really good um, to be around Panther fans who were just so welcoming, just so nice in Charlotte, North Carolina. Didn't go after Eagles fans. I mean, it's not like they're division rivals or anything, but it wasn't just that. Like Eagles fans were everywhere at that game and it was neat to be, that was a first for me. When it comes to being a football fan, being an Eagles fan specifically, like you always see the videos 2017 when the Eagles fans took over that soccer stadium the Chargers used to play at, right? You see all the time, Eagles fans travel so well. They take over D.C. all the time. They're in New York. They're in Dallas. They're on the West Coast. They're everywhere. They're in the South. Eagles fans live everywhere, and they travel so, so well. Atlanta, too, this year was a great environment, it looked like. But you always see it from afar, and you're like, I would love to be at an away game but at the same time, it feels like a home game because there's so many fans. And I had the opportunity of being in a section where it was all green, all green. It was all Eagles fans. There were You could hear the cheers when the Eagles were coming back. It was obviously dominated by Panthers fans there, but that wasn't just your typical 95% home fans, 5% away. Eagles fans packed that stadium, and it was an incredible game to go to the first time since 2019. So I really enjoyed that experience, and it was such a great win that we're going to get into. An up-and-down one, a frustrating one for three-and-a-half quarters. I was having fun, but it wasn't because of the team's performance. But I love wild finishes, and that was definitely one of the most thrilling live sporting events I've been to in quite some time. And we're going to get into today the positives and the negatives of that performance because it was not a pretty win. It was a win. A win is a win is a win. But at the same time, using context, there was a lot that this Eagles team needs to improve upon in that game, um, especially on the offensive side of the football. But there were some really good things to take from it as well. So that's coming up on today's edition of Lockdown Eagles. Guys, again, thank you so much for making Lockdown Eagles your first listen each and every day. Again, it's stock up, stock down. Let's start with the positives. Let's start on the defensive side of the football. The defensive side of the football won you that game. Every time the Eagles offense tried to take that game and throw it off the rails, right? Jalen Hurts throws an interception. They just can't move the chains. They're not running the football well. Nothing's working. Every time you're like, okay, this is it. The Panthers are going to run away. The Eagles defense was like, no, not happening. And that has not been the case the last two weeks prior where the Eagles were outscored significantly. They allowed 83 points against Dallas and Kansas City and nearly 900 yards of total offense. That was not the case against Carolina. And number one stock up, it's got to be Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon was public enemy number one in Philadelphia the last two weeks, especially on this podcast. And for right every right reason we had, it, it was 100% justified with the way he was coaching up that defense, with the way they were performing, and with his strategies, it was abysmal to the point where Nick Sirianni that last week was rumored to have gotten into a heated argument with Gannon about, I don't want to say a heated argument, more of a, a heated discussion, you know, critiquing the defense and what they need to do, how he was just not a fan of the soft zone coverage letting everything happen in front of 20 yards, misusing personnel like star cornerback Darius Slay, a star defensive tackle in Fletcher Cox. And it seemed like Jonathan Gannon got the message. He had the self-awareness and he put the ego to the side and he adjusted. And that's what a good coach does. He does not stick in his morals and he doesn't say, this is what I do, right or wrong, whether it works or not, this is what I do. Jonathan Gannon, completely open-minded this week and switched everything. He literally adjusted in literally every way we wanted him to. He played this defense way more aggressive. He used far more man coverage. 
a lot of man zone concepts too. Like there was cover two, two high safeties, but you still had man coverage on the boundary. Darius Slay, Steven Nelson playing close to the line of scrimmage. I saw a lot of cover three. You had safeties coming down. Anthony Harris played closer to the line of scrimmage. Now that Rodney McLeod can play single high, I think they're going to use that a lot more. So you were playing aggressive. You were playing closer to the football. You weren't giving up, right? You weren't just conceding certain amount of plays, certain types of plays. And that's exactly what this defense needed to be, was way more multiple and not so vanilla in the way they were with that bend, don't break, just don't get beat deep kind of philosophy, but everything else, we're okay getting beat in that area. That was not the case Sunday against Carolina. He also, and by the way, using those coverage schemes, it forced three interceptions on the day. You play more aggressive, sometimes you're going to get beat more, 100%. But there's other times you're going to be more opportunistic when you give your guys chances to make plays by not lining them up 20 yards deep off the ball. I'm being a little bit dramatic, but sometimes it's the case where they're lined up deep. And when they're lined up deep, they're still heading for the hills. That wasn't the case. Darius Slade, two interceptions, easily his best game of the year. Steven Nelson, a game-winning interception as well. It forced three turnovers. Gannon with the perfect blueprint in this game. And I also think he better utilize personnel. Again, Darius Slay had his best game of the year. He let him play man coverage. He let him play aggressive and go after the ball. And he had two interceptions. He also used Fletcher Cox way better up front on the defensive line. Fletcher Cox, easily his best game of the year. He had six pressures on the day. He had a sack. The defensive line was unstoppable. Javon Hargrave, another sack too. He has six already in five games. And those were the two players that apparently Nick Sirianni was on Gannon about. He did not feel like Gannon was properly using Fletcher Cox, who had a rough first month of the season, and Darius Slay. Those two, best games of the year. It's not a coincidence. Gannon took it to heart, and I'm so, so impressed by that. The other thing he did too at linebacker, Davian Taylor. He featured him at the position. He didn't play you know, north of 50% of the snaps, only 34%, but that's easily a career high. Taylor, 24 snaps. That was only a few behind Eric Wilson. And Taylor moved really well in space. He was making big hits. He was doing well in run fills and coverage. Everything we wanted this week, it happened. I'm glad he recognized the issues and made corrections. That's what a good coach does, and they adjust. Hats off to Jonathan Gannon, stock up for sure. By the way, stock up, I mean, I mentioned him already, Darius Slay. I mean, that performance was just insane. That is what a CB1 looks like. Isn't it fun? Isn't it a nice, refreshing feeling? When was the last time you can remember an Eagles cornerback having that kind of impact? Taking over a game like that, especially in the clutch. Like having a cornerback just go off like that. I mean, there's got to be a game in 2009 maybe or 2010 with Asante Samuel. But since then, they've had some good games for cornerbacks. Like I look back to the Super Bowl. I thought Jalen Mills had one of the best first halves in a Super Bowl I've ever seen. But he didn't dominate a game. He wasn't a CB1. Darius Slay. I mean, that was the best cornerback play I've seen in a, maybe in my lifetime as an Eagles fan, at least in my coherent lifetime. Two interceptions and the second one just all created by him. Dan Olofsky even said it too. Like He wanted to blame Darnold or the receiver. He was looking for what went wrong on offense, but it, it was nothing. It was just Darius Slay making a great play on the ball like he tends to do throughout his career. He was pro football focus's top-ranked corner in week five with a 90.2 grade. So far this year, Darius Slay, 34 yards allowed per game, only a 78.2 QB rating when targeted, 
three pass deflections, and two interceptions. That's what having a true CB1 looks like. And when you use him in that way, like Jonathan Gannon did, when you allow him to go make plays, good things happen. Two interceptions on the day, stock up definitely for Darius Slay. Stock up as well for wide receiver Quez Watkins. On the offensive side of the ball, it was not a great day for most of these guys. But how about Quez Watkins, guys? I mean, I I mentioned, I think, last week the Deshaun Jackson comparison where he's a player that I'm not saying he's going to be the best deep threat of all time, like Deshaun Jackson is, a Hall of Famer potentially. But Quez Watkins, the Eagles have been desperately trying to replace that Deshaun Jackson type of player for eight years now. Deshaun Jackson was one of their solutions to replacing him. Uh, Mike Wallace was too. Uh, Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Jalen Rager, Marquise Goodwin. Heck, even John Hightower was more in the plans last year and in the draft than Quez Watkins was. But Quez Watkins is the guy that has replaced that production farther than anybody else has. Quez Watkins, he's a player, and I've said it before, he doesn't need eight targets, seven receptions to make an impact on a game. All he needs is one play to change things for you. One play. And that's exactly what happened against Carolina. Quez Watkins, the offense, nothing is going right. They are not scoring points. They are not moving the ball. Carolina's up by multiple scores. And then you get a 53-yard reception to Quez Watkins, who breaks down across the middle of the field to the left sideline, breaks free, is wide open. And that changed the momentum of the game. It is such a huge, huge momentum swing when a guy like this can make a play like that. Quez Watkins, again, he's just so efficient. I mean, he doesn't need 100 catches this year to make a similar impact as other receivers. The guy's on pace for you know 40 to 45 catches this year. That's not really that impressive, but he's nearly on pace for 1,000 yards. Why? Because he's averaging over 20 yards a catch this year. Only one of the receiver is doing that, Henry Ruggs in Las Vegas. Quez Watkins is averaging the most yards per reception in the NFL. And he was doing that again against the Carolina Panthers with that 53-yard catch. It changed the momentum of the game, and Quez Watkins has been so crucial. And thank God, because Jalen Rager just doesn't look to be it, guys. And so it's another late-round pick that saves Howie Roseman after you know botching a high pick, right? Jordan Maialata for Andre Dillard, uh, Josh Sweat for Derek Barnett, um, Quez Watkins now for Jalen Rager. Quez Watkins finally played more snaps than Jalen Rager. Watkins is wide receiver too. It's Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins now at this point. And again, thank God, because Rager, I thought, did not look great against the Panthers for sure. Quez Watkins, by the way, before we take a break, 18 total catches in his career, already has receptions of 91 yards, 53 43, 41, and 32. Just a burner in every form of the definition. Guys, today's Locked On Eagles is sponsored by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your football action this year. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And my God, I mean, even look at the Monday night game last night between Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. An incredible game. The games this year have been amazing. Every week, close down to the wire finishes on prime time during the day on Sundays. Make sure you're getting in on the action Saturdays too, like college football. Holy crap, did you watch that Ole Miss-Arkansas game or Oklahoma-Texas? Football this year has been amazing, and we deserve it after putting up with last year. Make sure you get some money down. Get in 
on the action with all the games at betonline.ag. It's so much more fun to watch these games when you have some more incentive when it's not your team. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to receive your bonus from football to basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Eagles fans, welcome back in. This is your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, Locked on Eagles. Thank you for making Locked on Eagles your first listen each and every day. Today is our Tuesday edition of the show, which means it is stock up, stock down. In segment one, we got into stock up. Stock up for defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, wide receiver Quez Watkins, cornerback Darius Slay. Some guys I didn't mention as well, stock up. Fletcher Cox. Uh, Javon Hargrave. I thought Devontae Smith bounced back incredibly from that fumble. Seven catches for 77 yards on the day, including the two-point conversion to take the lead. I thought against press coverage, like the Panthers were daring the Eagles to beat them in tight spaces. I thought Devontae Smith really did step up against a really good defense, and he is a true wide receiver one. So there's a lot of guys that had a good day on Sunday. But at the same time, guys, although it was a win, it wasn't for three and a half quarters of that game. The Panthers controlled that game for most of it. And the Eagles took advantage late and hats off to a team to be resilient like that on the road against a three and one football team. That's a really big step. It's a really good sign for a young team with a new quarterback and a new head coach and young players at new positions, right? New core pieces. It's a big step. But at the same time, I don't think this game in general was a huge step based on performance. There was a lot of issues, not really on defense or in special teams, right? A blocked punt to get the Eagles the ball back and take the lead. I mean, those two units were incredible. But the offense, this was a big step back, and it looked more like the offense from two weeks ago against Dallas than the team last week against Kansas City that pretty much moved the ball up and down the field and practically did whatever they wanted to against the Chiefs. And so stock down is mostly going to be about the offense. And number one, stock down to Jalen Hurts. Um, Although, look, I left Bank of America Stadium on Sunday so conflicted because after three and a half awful quarters of play by your quarterback, right? Two of three weeks now, he's just been abysmal. Um, A great performance against Kansas City last week, but two of the last three games, Carolina and Dallas, for most of them, he was awful. And so, but I left the stadium conflicted because again, he was abysmal for three and a half quarters. A lot of people are ready to let go, right? They're ready to let go. And then he pulls you back in and reinstills you with this sense of hope after being a hero late in the game and just putting on the clutch gene and helping the Eagles win that football game, right? That play to Devontae Smith, where it's a bad snap by Jason Kelsey. Uh, Jalen Hurts palms it on the right side. He manages to catch the ball. You got a free rusher. I think it was Hassan Riddick. Jalen Hurts holds him off with one hand, shakes him off, rolls to the right, puts a dart on the money to Devontae Smith and that two-point conversion to take the lead. I thought he made some key passes and a couple big runs on those drives to end up winning the football game. And that's what pulls you back in those clutch moments. And so that's why it's hard to just fully put him on stock down, but you have to put him in stock down based on the the entirety of that performance. But again, I left feeling conflicted. I I was ready to leave extremely mad at Jalen Hurts and ready to talk the hell out of Matt Corral and Malik Willis in the 2022 class. 
But then those clutch moments steps in and you see the calmness through adversity with Hertz and the leadership and the mobility when plays break down. It's special. It's rare. It's unique. And it's something you need in a franchise quarterback because in big moments like that, especially when it's more important like the playoffs, you need a guy like that that does not get rattled in the face of pressure. Exterior pressure, like on the field pressure and off the field pressure. It makes you want to keep waiting for Jalen, for the other stuff to come because you're like, the other stuff, if it, if it comes, you have some special things you can't really teach in a guy. And if the other stuff can come, this could be a really, really special player. But guys, the reason he's stocked down today, not stock up, is because the other stuff isn't coming. And that was an alarming performance. From a defense, too, by the way, in Carolina that dared Jalen Hurts. They dared him to make things work in tight spaces. They said, we're not giving you the screen passes, although Nick Sirianni still called them. I'm not sure if that has to do with, again, his just lack of faith in Hurts making plays in tight spaces with his arm. That might be a direct correlation. I'm not sure. I think it is. But Carolina knew this to be the fact of the matter as well, that Jalen Hurts so far hasn't proven to make tough throws, especially over the middle of the field. So what we're going to do, we're going to take away the stuff underneath. We are going to jam you at the line of scrimmage. We're going to play tight coverage. And we're going to say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to thread the needle to do it. You're going to have to make tight window throws. Carolina did that all day. And Jalen Hurts did not make them back off. He did not give them a reason to play softer coverage. And so it just didn't feel like Carolina respected him. And Jalen, throughout the majority of that game, kind of confirmed Carolina's strategy, their belief in what they think of Hurts and their game plan against Jalen. His performance kind of confirmed that they were right in doing what they did. And it wasn't just that. I mean, he missed multiple big plays again. Quez Watkins wide open for a touchdown down the right sideline. Jalen Hurts just didn't see the field. And that's a problem with Jalen consistently is that he doesn't process things fast enough. He misses plays. He's late and he doesn't really have the arm strength to make up for being late when he's not throwing with anticipation. He missed Quez again. That's two weeks in a row. He's missed a deep touchdown to Watkins. He also missed Devontae Smith on a third and long, wide open on the right side. Could have moved the chains. Just got to keep your eyes up. You got to process things. You have to see the field better if you're going to be the franchise quarterback. And he did not do that again against Carolina. It was just a lot of the things that he continues to um, – weaknesses that – continue to be weaknesses. I mean, I thought it was a nice step in Kansas City. I thought he did some things with processing and accuracy and throwing with anticipation a whole lot better, which was a nice step. But again, what did we say last week on the show? Okay, it was a good first step against Kansas City. It was a great bounce back from what you did in Dallas. But can you string along those types of performances now? Can you do that back to back to back to back? And after just one game against a bad defense, he plays a good defense maybe a great defense in Carolina that, by the way, still didn't have Stephon Gilmore or J.C. Horn, and he still kind of you know, regressed back into what we saw against the Cowboys, just a very, very limited passing quarterback. And so, again, and I thought the accuracy was bad, too. I mean, that Zacherts interception was bad. It was just not a good day for Jalen Hurts. Again, he helped you win that football game, and again, that stuff makes you want to wait out for this stuff to develop, but so far it hasn't come along and it has to come along because there's other guys that have been able to win late in football games. 
Tim Tebow, I'm not comparing, I'm not comparing Jalen Hurts to Tim Tebow. Get that through your head right now. Don't tweet at me that, or don't say Lou DiBiase of Lockdown Eagles compared Jalen Hurts to Tim Tebow and oh, he's just a Carson Wentz lover. He's biased. And that's why I said that. No, I'm just saying Tim Tebow, one thing he did have too, leadership and just the calmness and the ability to thrive late in games and high pressure moments. It's a special thing that Tim Tebow had. Nothing else developed around that that gene, that clutch gene, right? Jalen Hurts, the same thing. This other stuff has to come because this in itself is not enough. And it's why it's why he had a fourth round grade by the majority of teams. It's why Alabama eventually benched him for Tua. Teams need more. The Eagles need more. It was a super, super impressive end of the game. Again, he was a huge reason you won that football game but he was also a key reason the defense had to carry you just to stay in contention against the Panthers. So stock down to me for Jalen Hurts. Uh, Stock down as well when it comes to the Carson Wentz situation. I was watching the game on Monday night. I wrote an article about this on Fox 43. You can check that out on my Twitter at DBSELOE or at our sister station, Fox 43's Twitter account at Fox 43 Sports. Um, the Carson Wentz situation in general stocked down. I got ratioed on Twitter today. And look, anytime I talk about Carson Wentz, it's going to happen based on my stance on the Wentz era and what happened and who is to blame. Fans are unconditionally loyal to the Eagles over players. I understand that. And I know he requested a trade, which many see as a weak move and they see that as betrayal, right? I, although I don't think it was. Like, I totally understand 90% of fans are going to come after me if I'm hyping up Carson Wentz and I'm criticizing the Eagles. So I got ratioed again on Twitter today, but it was because I was talking about the game last night and the way that Carson Wentz played. The way he played last night and the way he's been playing really all year, to me, consistently has been proving that the problem or the biggest problem, because there's a ton of problems, and Carson Wentz was a huge problem last year, um, but the biggest problem still resides in Philadelphia in the Novacare complex up in the front office. You know, the two guys I'm talking about that performance last night with Carson Wentz. And again, he's not, I'm not saying he's been incredible this year. He looks, he's not the 2017 Carson Wentz. He's not an MVP candidate. He's not an elite quarterback, but the guy I saw yesterday, the guy I saw last week against the Miami dolphins, that was 2018 Carson Wentz. That was 2019 Carson Wentz a guy that consistently is good and then will have moments of greatness. And so the way he played yesterday proves to me that last year was an anomaly. And what does it tell you when a player that was good in four or five years leaves a team after a disastrous season? He was horrible. A lot of it was on him. He was the worst quarterback in football last year. But what does it say when that guy leaves that situation and then instantly returns to the form that he was in for the other four seasons of his five-year career? What does that tell you? To me, that tells you that the biggest issue, the biggest issue, not the only issue, let me again continue to preface it with that, the biggest issue is still in Philadelphia. That's to me, that that's what it says. It was a Howie Roseman thing more than anything. Failing to build around Carson Wentz consistently, drafting Jalen Hurts, the injuries across this roster, the Eagles messed up. And a lot of people are only talking about the snap count and the fact that he is playing for the Colts rather than talking about how he is playing. 
I feel like they're ignoring that. And I'm not sure if it's because it's they're in denial, if they don't want to recognize that he's playing well, because then it'll upset them. And they're like, it, it'll, it'll drive you nuts because you're like, we should still have him as our quarterback. I'm not sure what it is, but people are really only talking about the fact that he's playing, not really evaluating the way he's playing. And I know the, the fact that he's just playing the snap count impacts the Eagles more than anything now because if he keeps playing, it's going to turn into a first-round pick. But guys, the way Carson Wentz is playing impacts this team too because it's shining a light, yet another light, into what the biggest problem is in Philadelphia. And so that's why I say it's stocked down because it's a bad look when you trade this guy away and he's back to what he was. Because if he's back to what he was, then that means – that in it, with a new coach in a new system, that means it was probably your system. It was probably what you did last year for the most part that put him in that spot. And I think that is the case. And the other thing why it's stocked down, when we're talking about the snap count, look, it's great that Carson Wentz is playing. And it would be great if the AFC South sucked all year and they could compete despite having an awful record, right? I would love for the Colts to win six or seven games like the NFC East last year. They win the, and you know, Wentz is playing and the Eagles get a high pick next year. Like let's say they lose out to the Titans, but they were in it the whole year and won seven games and you get a top 15 pick this year. Like that's so ideal, 100%. But why is everybody cheering for the Colts to lose? Like rooting for the Colts to win doesn't just stop with Carson Wentz being injured. Like you need, even when he's healthy, you still need the Colts to win football games because I'll tell you what, they're already one and four. Even if Carson Wentz is healthy this year, he's never going to be fully 100% on those legs if he continues to play. And so if they're out of it at the end and he's what he is now, healthy, but not 100%, guess what? I bet you they still shut him down if they are out of it. And they'll use this injury as an excuse to keep that first round pick. They'll do something, some excuse like the Eagles last year saying Nate Sudfeld earned that second half start against Washington, right? They'll spin it in a certain way. And so to me, I wanted the Colts to win that game yesterday. Again, it would be great. I mean, they're one and four. The Eagles would have a top seven pick because of Indianapolis. But is that going to be sustainable? I don't think so. We need the Colts to be in it. I'd rather have the guarantee of a lower indie first round pick than root for maybe pulling off, getting the pick high, and they keep Wentz in there and they're competing in a bad division with a bad record. I just think it's more likely. I just I would rather have them be eight and nine this year, miss the playoffs, but you get that first than the situation they're in right now at one and four. Maybe they don't bench Wentz if he keeps playing like this, even when they're out of it late. But all it would take is a couple games of sitting Wentz and resting him for them to get this pick back down to a second. And so stock, uh, stock down in that way too for the Colts losing that, blowing that game yesterday. That, I don't To me, that wasn't good for the Eagles. There was a lot of people cheering on Twitter about that because it looks good right now on paper that the Eagles have that pick because Wentz is playing and they're one and four, but they need to be better if we want this pick for the Eagles secured. Louis DiBiase joining you on this Tuesday edition of Lockdown Eagles. And guys, today's show is sponsored by rockauto.com. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 150, even 30%, anything lower on chain stores at a car dealership 
when you have Rock Auto. Rock Auto, their prices are reliably low for every customer. They're a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they have everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Again, go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or your truck. Let's face it, a lot of you guys out there, you baby your cars and trucks. Take care of them with rockauto.com. Make sure you write down Locked On in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Guys, this is Louis DiBiase of Lockdown Eagles. We appreciate you making Lockdown Eagles your first listen each and every day. This Tuesday edition of LOE is Stock Up, Stock Down. So in segment two, it was stock down for quarterback Jalen Hurts, stock down entirely for the Carson Wentz situation, and also getting back into it here as we wrap up the show in segment three, I think stock down for running back Miles Sanders. Once again, was just a non-factor against Carolina. And I'm not the run the football kind of guy. To me, the Eagles run a lot of RPO and Jalen Hurts is choosing to keep it a lot or pass the football. And so that goes into the lack of attempts. So too does just the game situation. They've been losing a lot, so they have to throw to come back. The offensive line has been very banged up. So there's been a lot into why they're not running the football a lot. But at the same time, I will say, Nick Sirianni has to find more balance. And I'm not sure if it's because he's being told to use Jalen Hurts heavily, feature him heavily as a passer right now from other people. I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, but they do need to run the football more. And I think Miles Sanders hasn't looked great the past couple of weeks, but I think a lot of it too is because he just hasn't really been able to get into a rhythm. Um, it just, again, I, I would, I want the pass to be 70. I don't want the ratio to be 50, 50 for sure. I want them to be heavy pass. And a lot of these screens and the check downs, the swing passes, the pre-stamp motion, um, a lot of that stuff does, make up for the run game. They're kind of supplementing it, those the run game with those plays. Um, so again, I'm not like a run the football kind of guy, but they definitely need to balance it out more and get Miles Sanders more involved. He's too good of a player to not be getting the ball more than he is. And yeah, I just, I, I think, and Miles Sanders too, you know, it's stocked down, but it's mostly just more because of his situation than like the way he's playing. I'm not ready like everybody else to say Kenny Gainwell is RB1. He's a better player. Sirianni, I think, is using Gainwell in the more ideal situations on third downs where there's more space. Um, and I think he isn't letting either really, again, get into a rhythm. I think personally, has Kenny Gainwell been great this year and probably more efficient than Miles Sanders? Yeah, 100%. But at the same time, I feel like Miles Sanders this year, when they've gotten him going earlier, like the first three weeks of the season, he looked really, really good. He was leading the league the first month of the year in yards per attempt on first down. And he's not really getting the receiving looks on third down like he used to because of Gainwell's presence. Although he did have five catches this past week um, for only eight yards, which is a crazy stat line. But I do think that the roles are different now. And when you're Miles Sanders and you're only a two down back now, and you're not really getting touches, it's hard to get going it's hard to get into a rhythm and it's hard for him right now to find the ball. So his stock is definitely down to the point where, yeah, people are talking about is Kenny Gainwell RB one. Are the Eagles going to even consider extending miles Sanders next year? 
Uh, is it time to maybe look into a trade? I'm not ready for all of that. I know what Miles Sanders can do. He's a home run hitter. He's such a good dynamic threat. I think he's been catching the football really well this year um, when he's getting the ball in those situations. And I think they just need to get him more involved. I'm not saying run him 20 times a game, but I do think balance out the game script a bit and use him sometimes in the Kenny Gainwell role as well. Gainwell has been awesome, but I do want to see Sanders still as the featured running back. Guys, one more stock up. How about Andre Dillard? Andre Dillard has been really good the last three weeks. He's held his own. No complaints. You know, with Jordan Maialata hurt and then Lane Johnson out this week, Jordan Maialata had to switch to right tackle. And Andre Dillard held his own yet again against Brian Burns, who was my pick to win defensive player of the year. Dillard held him in check. Um, and I think the big thing, though, it's not really surprising. Dillard is good against speed rushers, which is what Burns is. I can't wait to see him against a real, like, power pass rusher because anchoring has been his biggest issue throughout his career, but so far so good through three weeks. And that's a huge positive because this summer he was awful and the competition between him and Jordan Maialata wasn't really even close. And so the fact that he is playing well left tackle is good, not only because Lane Johnson's out right now and Jordan Maialata has been banged up, but at the same time, it's also good because I don't know the future of Lane Johnson. And I know right now it's a personal issue. I don't think it's an injury that's keeping him out. But it's been years now where Lane Johnson consistently is not available. And so I hope Lane Johnson, he's still at the, the height of his powers, but I don't know his future in Philadelphia. It's It was kind of good to know on Sunday that you could move Jordan Maialata to right tackle. He's a lot better you know, swinging from left to right compared to Andre Dillard. It was good to know you can do that and still have Andre Dillard in the left tackle position not be a liability. Who knows? Maybe that's the future of this Eagles offensive line. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you don't just trade Dillard so quick. You know, this year at the deadline, or people thought about cutting him this year. I even considered it. Um, maybe you aren't so quick to rule Dillard dead in the water, and you just have this flexibility because you never know with Lane Johnson and you might need Dillard and Maialata to be the future. I'm not sure, but it's it's definitely, you know, all of that's up in the air as we continue to go along this year and into next year. But it is good to know that you have that kind of depth up front right now with Andre Dillard, and it's good to know that he's not only not really a liability, but he's been pretty good. He's been kind of a strength on your offensive line. Uh, that's a, a good sign. So I wanted to finish off the show with a positive there. Stock up to left tackle Andre Dillard. Guys, that's going to do it for today's edition of your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast, Locked on Eagles. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday as well. We are your daily birds podcast available on all platforms and on YouTube as well. And on Twitter at Locked on Birds, at DBLCLOE. Gino is on Twitter at GC24 underscore football. Guys, once again, thank you for making Locked on Eagles your first listen each and every day, I'm Lou DiBiase signing off. As always, thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And let's go, Birds.